0: I'm Cullen Burke, and this is Cauldron A History of the World, Battle by Battle. Hello again, and thanks for listening to our first official theory cast. Today, we are going to go through a few listener thoughts on last week's Battlecast about the Battle of Magnesia in 190 BC, where a Roman Republican army defeated a numerically superior Seleucid force and forever changed Asia Minor, the Middle East, and the world itself. Just uh, some quick housekeeping stuff right off the top. Don't forget, rate and review us on iTunes, please. Check us out on Facebook and on Instagram. And also, take a quick look at Patreon, where our, our page is found at Cauldron, and you can find some cool perks, uh, bonus content, and some show gear. Moving forward, anyone that goes to CauldronPodcast.com and sends us a theory via the Your Theories page will receive a gift from the show. So be sure to send in those theories. All right, let's cut the chit-chat and get stuck in. Corvus Corax wrote in, War Elephants. War Elephants, while awe-inspiring, were a century past their prime effectiveness at Magnesia. Had Hannibal led the Seleucids, would he have even utilized them after the Roman maniples had effectively dealt with them at Zama? Certainly, their presence may have discouraged the Romans from deploying their smaller North African forest elephants, R.I.P., but their liability in anything other than a direct charge here was the Seleucid's downfall. A panicking elephant is only useful if they are in the middle of the opposing infantry, tearing things up and breaking their line. Otherwise, they're just a massive liability." Once more into the breach doesn't work when you've got your own damn elephants trampling you from behind. (laughs) All right, so Corvus makes a very good point. First off, he brings up a great point in the Battle of Zama where Roman tactics against elephants were pretty successful. At Zama, Scipio Africanus, who, if you remember, was actually at Magnesia where his brother was the commander-in-chief, divided his men into small and maneuverable groups called maniples. And then he trained them to create wide alleyways with uh, basically these wide alleyways. And when the Carthaginian elephants charged, they would be kind of forced into these alleys. And what he would do is is he had his men line up on either side of the alley and lock shields so that even if an elephant tried to veer off into the group, they'd be kind of pushed back like bumpers at a bowling alley, pushed back into the lane. And the elephants made little to no impact and and in fact passed right through the army out to the other end. And in some cases, they went wild because Scipio had his men create a lot of noise and and trump trumpets and and make a lot of uh, basically a noise din, and that forced a lot of these elephants into basically panicking, and then they ended up charging back into their own lines. And Corvus is also right in assuming that the Romans held their elephant corps in reserve. They actually did have some elephants. I didn't mention them in the episode. Uh, They were held in reserve back by the camp, uh, probably mainly used for logistics by the Romans at this point. But uh, he's right in saying that they held them in reserve because it was uh, the North African forest elephant was much smaller than the Indian elephant. And unfortunately, now they are, in fact, extinct, having been uh, captured for warfare and for entertainment in parades and games all over the Roman Empire. They've been extinct for quite some time. And I also think that his statement that they... uh, that they were a, that the elephants were a solucid liability for anything other than a direct charge is accurate. Where I think Antiochus got it wrong, though, was not in so much using the elephants, but in his target selection. Given the success of Scipio's tactics at Zama, I have to wonder what Hannibal would have done had he been there, and, and I think his talent for laying traps and and doing the unexpected taking the enemy's strongest, strongest point and making it their weakest would have shown through at Magnesia. Uh, on the right wing of the Roman army, there was a massive block of cavalry, some 5,000 plus strong, which when drawn up in that size and in that formation is excellent for obliterating an enemy or an opponent right in front of you just through sheer weight and inertia alone. That being said, the trade-off of that formation and that size is maneuverability, which would have been a cavalry rider's best defense against an elephant charge. So if the Seleucid elephants had charged the block of cavalry instead of the infantry in front of it, I have to think they would have fared at least a little bit better or at least have done something to the cavalry to knock them off of their spot. And and there is precedence for elephants beating cavalry or at least creating chaos among horses. Uh, in a number of different ancient battles, we see elephants causing chaos in horse forces or, or in cavalry units. From obviously from the size of the elephants, but also the scent and the noises that elephants made would have created a, a lot of confusion among the horses themselves. Combined with the potential success. Against or at least stalling of that cavalry force on the Roman right caused by this uh, massive elephant charge, and and add that with the mayhem on the Roman left after the Seleucid breakthrough on that end of the line, and the prospects for a Roman victory, I would think, become uh, much smaller. All right. Corvus writes in, if they did win, if the Seleucids win at Magnesia and crush the Roman forces and take Asia Minor, we have a wealthy region with a strong independent streak ruled over by an inefficient dynasty over 20 days travel by foot away. My best guess is that we see rebellions in Thrace, Pergamon, and Rhodes as soon as Antiochus, or his son, moves down his conqueror's checklist and turns his eyes towards finishing off the Ptolemaic Empire in Egypt or to oppressing those plucky Maccabees. The result is an independent Asia Minor for a few years before Rome comes calling again. The Roman Senate abhors a vacuum, especially one as profitable as Pergamon and Rhodes. So Rome gets it in the long run. I think on this one, I am completely with Corvus. The the value of Greece, Pergamon, and Rhodes, as well as control of trade throughout the Aegean Sea, not to mention the vital access point of the Bosporus, put Asia Minor high on the Republic's list of priorities. Rome could not accept defeat anyways. On the diplomatic stage, Rome's power rested in its ability to exert its will on other states. If it seemed as though Rome was weak in one place, the rest of the Mediterranean would likely rise up and try to exploit any weaknesses. Corvus also points out that the Seleucids probably didn't have the ability to stay in control for any long period of time, and on that, again, I I probably agree. Antiochus brought some stability But even he was still constantly trying to shore up his borders and maintain his power base. It's unlikely Antiochus or his successors would have been able to deal with Rome, internal threats, potential war with Egypt, and then the Parthians on their backside all at the same time. So even with a victory at Magnesia, most likely the Seleucids' uh, success wouldn't have been fairly short-lived. But... That brings me to what I think very likely could have happened. We mentioned the Parthians. Uh, They were already taking little nibbles out of the Seleucid Empire on its eastern front, and I think they very likely would have ramped up their aggression towards an expansion into Seleucid territory. If that's true, and they over time supplanted the Seleucids in Asia Minor and across the Middle East, I think Rome would have been in a very tight spot. The Romans, as we will see in future episodes, had a very hard time dealing with the style of warfare that the Parthians practiced with their powerful, heavy cavalry force made up of cataphracts, which were these wild, wild units. They were fully plate-armored horses and lancers. Think of your your classic jousting knight. Basically, that's what this is. And you add that with the most annoying military unit in ancient history, the, the extremely highly maneuverable, hit-and-run horse archer. And the Parthians... Uh, on more than one occasion, were able to get the best of Roman field armies. In fact, you will see eventually they're responsible for the death of Marcus Crassus and the capture of Roman eagles, And and the term parting shot comes from the Parthian shot, where a Parthian horse archer would turn its body around as the horse is riding away from you, he would turn around and fire a very accurate very strong shot from his composite bow So the Parthians were also a far more stable force uh, than than the Seleucid Empire, which makes me think that they had uh, if they had succeeded in taking over the Seleucid Empire, the Romans would have had a bitch of a time getting them out of Asia Minor. And in fact, getting them out of what would eventually be the, the, the province known as Syria. Corvus writes in his last little bit here, Hannibal, the only thing keeping Hannibal from being traded off to the Romans was continual success for Antiochus III. He just lost against Rhodes, so my guess is he was smartly cooling his heels and waiting to see how the Seleucids fared. Even if Antiochus summoned him after the defeat at Thermopylae and with Antiochus on the run, I could easily envision Hannibal denying the request or delaying the messenger while he checks the price for a fast ship out of Dodge. Hannibal was a brilliant general, and brilliant generals know when to cut their losses. Lastly, Corvus again makes a great point that I think stands on its own. Hannibal was capable of seeing two, three, even four moves ahead of everyone else, and no one alive knew better how implacable and tough Rome was as a foe. Add in the Scipio factor, and it seems clear his choice to avoid being there or being at Magnesia was more of a self-preservation move than it was a strategic move. That being said, if, as the ancient sources said, there was a massive numerical superior superiority in favor of the Seleucids, and even as is commonly believed today, the Seleucids were only lightly more numerous, hell, even if that had the, even if they had the same numbers, I wonder if that was a temptation for Hannibal. In all his battles with Rome, I don't believe he ever enjoyed a numerical advantage. In fact, I believe he was often drastically outnumbered. So the idea of striking, uh, the idea of him sticking it to the Romans with an army twice their size must have made him at the very least entertain the idea of going to Magnesia. Of course, Hannibal not taking the risk could be an even stronger indication that the numbers were not so heavily in the Seleucid army's favor, and it is also likely he simply was not asked. Maybe Antiochus wanted to prove his own worth and ability, or maybe he truly believed he was capable enough to handle a Roman army. And hell, given what he did on the Roman left flank breaking through with that cavalry charge to open the battle, he almost did. All right, great stuff, guys. Thanks to Corvus Corax for the awesome and clearly thought-out opinions. It was lots of fun to dig in and work that imagination muscle. As a little incentive, anyone that sends in their theories will get a gift from the show in the, in, uh, in the regular snail mail, uh, and that gift is a show logo decal with either the current series run, which is the ancient logo, The next series run, which is the medieval uh, Bergenet or burgenette, or the modern run, which is in a couple of months, and that'll be the Prussian Pickle Haub. All right. So thanks to everyone for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Next week, we are meeting at the Battle of Shalom, 451 AD in France. Sound the church bells and repent. Because the scourge of God himself, Attila the Hun, is coming to town. Have a good one, guys.